just days away from the first pitch of the 2016 Arizona Fall League, and we welcome you into another edition of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Tyler Vaughn, Sam Dykstra in New York City. We're back to long di- this long-distance podcast relationship, Sam. I know, and I, uh, I hope you get my letters still. You haven't, <laughs> you haven't answered them in so long. I send one every day, and I only get occasional responses. It's Sam flies strange. out here and stands outside my house with a boombox over his head. In a trench coat with rolled up sleeves, doing his best, doing his best say anything impression. Um, hey, it's just... wait. What do you mean impression? That's just something oh yeah, I'm no, doing. it's just it's just your thing. Yeah, you and John Cusack. Is that some... oh it's just John your thing. Cusack's always taking my stuff. Like, I know, unbelievable. This, this love story of podcasts and my <laughs> baseball that we have here. Hey, it is the 79th episode of the show before the show podcast. By some miracle, we're one episode away from 80, and you people seem to really enjoy us. So that's cool. Find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us wherever you uh, download podcasts and give us a rating and a review and a subscription. You can also find us at MILB.com slash podcast. We got all the episodes there. And with that, Gonna get right into it. Strike one on this week's edition of the show. Before the show, we are uh, into Org All Stars season. The Diamondbacks and the Braves. Our first two stories up in our annual run through all thirty major league systems, uh, major league organizations, and their minor league systems, I should say. And the Atlanta Braves and the Arizona Diamondbacks let us off. It's, we get so quickly into these things; it's kind of nuts. But uh, we got started with the D-backs and the Braves, and let's go to Atlanta first. Sam, take it away. Yeah, so uh, that's the the nice thing about this series is that, you know, whenever we're starting to think, okay, what is the site going to be like? You know, we do have these Oregon All-Stars that we're going to be running, I think, straight through December, um, coming out every couple of days. We're going in alphabetical order, so it makes sense. We had Arizona, I think, on Monday, Atlanta uh, today when we're recording this on Wednesday. We'll have Baltimore on Friday, and then my first one is with the Red Sox on, on Monday, so that's Arizona, Atlanta, Baltimore, Boston. Uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, so I'll, I'll tackle Atlanta uh, in lieu of Josh Jackson, our good friend who wrote this up. Uh, I encourage you to go read it. It's it's very thorough. Uh, he got to talk to Jonathan Scherholz, who works in uh, player development there with the Braves. Uh, obviously an exciting time for the Braves this year. Uh, didn't have necessarily the, the team success you know we may have expected uh, from a, a system that was that loaded with talent. Although, you know, as we talked about before, Gwinnett somehow made the IL playoffs and Rome certainly had a good run in the South Atlantic League, capturing, capturing a uh, league title down there with a rotation that was absolutely stacked. Uh, but just a refresher on how organization all-stars work. We, we pick the player that had the best minor league performance at each position. This isn't best prospect. Uh, this isn't anything like that. It's just straight up who performed the best at that position. So you could find any mix of you know draft picks from this year all the way up to minor league veterans, quad A players who just did really well this year. Uh, so I'm a little jealous. Josh got to write this up just because there is, it's it's difficult or it's not that easy to find a farm system like the Braves where every pick seems really cut and dry. Uh, so the notable names are here. Dansby Swanson was Josh's pick for shortstop. Ozzy Aldis, who I'll get to in our next segment, uh, was there at second base. Austin Riley at third base. I think the the toughest positions might have actually been pitching. Uh, we know last year, you know, the Braves made a real conscious effort to acquire as much pitching as they could. And uh, a lot of them did have good years, specifically with that Rome team. Uh, he picked Patrick Weigel, who pitched 22 games in Rome, got three starts uh, at Mississippi as well, uh, had a season ERA at 2.47 in, in those three starts in double A, a 2.51 ERA at Class A, uh, struck out 152 batters on the season in 149 two-thirds innings. So a really strong year from him. Uh, from the left-handed side, Josh went with Sean Newcomb, a guy who came over last year from the Angels in the I, – I don't know if we call it much maligned, but the the trade – for Angelton Simmons, uh, in which you know the Angels gave up two of their best prospects for one of the best defensive shortstops in the game. Uh, Newcomb stayed exclusively at Double A Mississippi this year, had a 3.86 ERA, uh, also 152 strikeouts in 150 innings. Pretty solid uh, for that level. Um, the talking point with him remains the walks. He he did walk 71 batters in those 140 innings. Is he going to be able to figure that out? Uh, Sherholtz gave a quote to Josh saying he's never going to be a pinpoint guy, never a guy who walks one per nine innings. But if we can lower that walk rate a little bit, 
eliminate one, one and a half per game. He's going to be a top of the rotation kind of pitcher. So he's a guy they're still very high on. Uh, you know, the Braves had a really good second half of the year, the major league level. I think it's a should be a fun time to be a Braves fan. Uh, you know, that new stadium's coming up next year. Swanson's already on the scene. Albies could be next. Uh, these arms are coming up quickly through the system. Uh, so plenty to like from the Braves. I know you had the D-backs, uh, Tyler. Not as fun a time in Arizona for anybody, I don't think, right now, uh, with all the news of all their front office moves. Uh, but what did you kind of see when you were writing up the, the D-backs or Gallstars this week? Well, the thing that really stood out um, from the D-back system this year is that everybody who made a big step forward seemed like they did so pretty close to the major league level, um, at least from a lot of the guys that you really want to see. And the one who really stood out there was Mitch Haniger, the outfielder who played 55 games with double A mobile and then 74 with Reno. He's also played in the major leagues for 34 games. Uh, but this year between double A and triple a three twenty one, four nineteen, five eighty one. his slash line, 25 homers, 94 runs batted in. And I talked with uh, AAA manager Phil Nevin about him, and he said the thing that was really impressive about about Mitch Haniger was when he was acquired from the Brewers back in 2014. The following season in 2015, Nevin told this story, quote, he went to our farm director, who was Mike Bell, a year ago and asked to go back to high A ball. He was like, I just want to show you guys that I can play. And it was obviously something that's not forgotten by us. He went down, he impressed there. He went back to double A and impressed. And obviously the year he had combined between double A and with us and up here in the big leagues. Phil Nevin was at the on the major league staff for the end of the season. It's been very impressive. So that really stands out with Mitch Haniger. But also, you know, Socrates Brito is a guy who played 73 games in Reno. Would have had a whole lot more time with the Aces, I think, this season, if not for the way the, the roster fell in Arizona. Saw action in 40 games for the D-backs, but not really consistent action. They kind of needed somebody who was sort of at that level that could fill in as a, a fourth outfielder, a little bit of a, a different role. So he didn't see as consistent of playing time as really maybe what you would have wanted to see out of him this season, but the talent is obviously there for him. And Anthony Banda, the left-handed starter uh, who the D-backs sent through 13 starts with Mobile and 13 with Reno, this year just like last season, just like 2015, in which he really impressed with Class A Advanced Visalia in a hitter-friendly league. This year, he goes through Double A Mobile and Triple A Reno, and with the Aces, a 3.67 ERA and 13 starts. And if you take away the nine earned runs that he gave up in his first two starts in the PCL, that ERA drops to 2.92. So Anthony Banda was really impressive. Um, the thing is, with the D-backs, they've whiffed on so much at the major league level that I think for D-backs fans, you look at this and go, yeah, okay, what does it matter to me if they're going to sink a ton of money into Zach Granke, if they're going to trade away top prospects to get guys like, you know, Shelby Miller obviously is the one who really stands out. What does this matter to me? Well, I think what matters is these guys are still making big strides. Even though at the major league level, there's been frustration and there's been a lot that has spilled over now in the firings of, of Dave Stewart and Chip Hale and Tony La Russa is out. It seems like that, type of culture has not carried over to the minor league level. And, you know, you talk with guys like Phil Nevin and J.R. House. J.R. House is one of the most infectiously positive guys that we talk to on a regular basis in minor league baseball. And, you know, he takes another team to the playoffs, takes another team to a championship series of finals in the California league, as he has done in every season of his minor league uh, managerial career. And the attitude in the system is, we know we've got talent here. We know we've got guys who can contribute from down here. And not only that, but they're learning how to win down here as well. So maybe the big plans, the big splash moves haven't worked out at the major league level, but there's a lot to still be excited about uh, in this D-back system if you're a Diamondbacks fan. Two guys who I've got an eye on, though, kind of play with similar profiles. Dawa Lugo, who's the third baseman now, and Domingo Leba, who's a shortstop, who can both play multiple positions and really both had some pretty successful campaigns with Visalia and Mobile. And a lot of kind of mirrored numbers between the two of them. They put up very very similar offensive numbers, big improvements from what they were able to do a season before and shifted spots defensively. Lugo went from being a shortstop to being a third baseman this year. Labor can play both spots up the middle. He played primarily at shortstop. So there's still a lot to be excited about in that D-back system even maybe in spite of the way that system has been treated over the last couple of seasons, because you look at some of these guys and they were acquired as, as free agent signings, or they were acquired through trades. Um, one guy who really stood out to me, who I don't know how many people have heard of or thought of in a long time, second baseman, Ildemaro Vargas, who the D-backs signed out of Indy ball. He's a former uh, Cardinals prospect. They signed him out of independent ball this year between mobile and Reno. He slashed three Oh five, three sixty four hundred. And Phil Nevin put it a good way. He said, sometimes guys just slip through the cracks, which really, seems like it's the case for him so the cupboard is definitely not bare for the d-backs in any sense no not at all uh 
And uh, one thing I kind of want to add that's we're doing new this year for the organization All-Stars is uh, we're adding at the bottom, uh, you can vote for who you think had the best year amongst you know our picks. So you'll read all about the guys at the top and then vote at the bottom for who you think had the best year. It's obviously an online poll. It doesn't, you know, we're not giving out major awards for this or anything like that. But if, uh, you are know, you saying that online polls are not scientific? Not because I was exactly told what I'm saying. They decided uh, the presidential debate is what I was well, told. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm saying it generally, not specifically <laughs> to anything in particular that's happened over the last two weeks, but you know, they're fun. You know, th- this is a chance to go to bat for a guy you really, really like. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it's a kind of fun new wrinkle that we're doing for our golf this year. My absolute favorite part of that is in the D-back story, everybody's listed, you know, guys taking swings, guys throwing pitches, guys out in the field, whatever. And then there's Nick Baker, who I named as the D-back's top reliever. And Nick Baker's photo for the voting contest is him drinking a giant, uh, like a big old stein of milk. During that day in Visalia where they have the cow milking contest, they were wearing, they were wearing those cow jerseys. And it's cow a, hats. A, yeah, and cow hats. Yeah. It's like the best photo I've ever seen on our website. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I, I feel like that's going to be a lot of fun just to look what kind of pictures we have. Because in the Braves one, there's no you know cow drinking milk or anything like that. But uh, Sean Newcomb's is him just like peering <laughs> around the corner. And it looks like he's like checking in to see what the results are, to see how he's doing. Um, so I don't know. It's just kind of fun to, to look at these things at the bottom of the, the stories now. Strike two, Sam. Tool shed prospects ISO power. This is one of the stats that a lot of people have really um, kind of honed in on over the last few seasons as a way to really project, especially among some prospects who maybe can outperform what they are thought to be as power prospects. And this is a really good story. I like this. It's up on the site right now. Yeah, so we're kicking off this year, uh, at least the beginning of this offseason, we're going to be doing what's called Toolshed Stats, uh, which is just strictly exactly what it sounds like. One column a week uh, at the start of the, this offseason, probably taking us up until the new year, is strictly going to focus on one stat or one kind of, uh, you know, stati- one brand of statistic or one specific statistic uh, that stuck out to me or to anybody else uh, as I go along and try to evaluate, you know, this 2016 season that was. Uh, so I start out with ISO. Uh, this was a kind of a project I started, I think, two winters ago. Uh, I, I do it for ISO. I do it for speed score. The way it works is we know, you know, we can look at stats all we want, but it, because we're, we're dealing in prospects here, we also get tool grades through the people at MLB.com. They assign a, tool grade based on the 20 to 80 scouting scale, the standard scale, uh, to what a prospect's, you know, power is, speed is, hit tool, uh, fielding tool, arm tool, all that kind of stuff. So that that essentially sets what our expectations should be for that player. So if they're a 50, that means they're average in that tool. So if we're talking a 50 power tool, we're talking about just average power, nothing spectacular, nothing really bad, just straight up average you can figure out the rest of the scale from there uh so what i did was i think iso is one of the best stats you can have it's better than slugging percentage in telling you how much power a particular player hat has uh iso is derived by taking somebody's slugging percentage subtracting their batting average and that's how you get iso that's how you isolate the actual slugging involved there so i took that you'll you won't be surprised at all to find you know when i when i took all the results for this the uh, leader in ISO was Joey Gallo. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big surprise. Joey there. Gallo. Joey, Joey Gallo had an ISO of 290. Uh, I think David Ortiz led all of the major leagues in ISO about 305. So that's about what we we're talking about for top of the scale. Uh, bottom of the scale, Adani Hetcheverria was actually lowest in the majors at 0.075. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. So I... But it's not just one thing to say, this is the guy who had the highest ISO, this is the guy who had the lowest ISO. What I want to do is I want to compare that ISO to the power grades. And I do that by taking the average ISO and the average power grade for the top 100 prospects. And then I put them on the same scale by using standard deviation. Um, and then I sub- just simply subtract the two. And in doing that, the guy with the most surprising power this year was actually somebody we talked about in the first segment in Ozzy Albies. This is a guy who, according to MLB.com, you know, has 20 power. It's bottom of the barrel. You can't get any 
less power than that. The reason why he's such a good prospect is because he's really good in the field. Uh, you know, if Dansby Swanson wasn't there, he'd be playing shortstop. Has a good arm. He's going to be playing second, but has a lot of range there. A lot of speed. Really good hit tool. Take the whole thing together. He doesn't need power. He's still a top 20 prospect. But with Albies, when his when you consider that his power is bottom of the barrel, as low as it gets, when he hit six homers this year, 10 triples and 33 doubles, all of a sudden he's hitting more like a 45-grade power. So that's about average, just slightly below. Uh, so I was very curious in that. So I talked to his hitting coach, uh, Gary Ingram, who worked with him this year at AA Mississippi, trying to figure out, you know, exactly is this something that could stick? You know, are we misinterpreting his power from years past? What kind of hitter could he be? Uh, and Ingram basically told me he thinks he could be like a guy who hits 10, 12, 15 homers at the major league level at some some point. Now, nobody's going to say that screams power hitter, but for a guy who hit only one long ball in his first two seasons in 2014 and 2015, that's pretty significant. Uh, so Alves is only 19. He's a switch hitter. Uh, you know, you, you look at his stats, you talk to some people, has a little more pop from the right side. Um, but, you know, I think Albies is a guy who could grow into a little more power, which is certainly good for a middle infielder, uh, could be a little bit more average, certainly about average for those positions, whether he sticks at short or second base, well, time will tell. Um, but the other thing I wanted to highlight with him in particular was that, you know, because we're using slugging percentage and average, you know, the, those two stats still kind of have their flaws. And the reason why Albie's slugging percentage might be a little inflated is that he has that plus-plus speed. So he's a guy who can turn a single into a double or a double into a triple. That adds to his total base you know, count, which grows his slugging percentage, which grows his ISO. Uh, so maybe you know, you've got to look at it a little deeper. We're not going to just say, oh, you know, Ozzie Albies is a legit power hitter now. You have to look at it from that angle as well. Um, but, yeah, that, that was certainly surprising to me. I'll just read off the, the biggest ISO overperformers. Uh, Albies was one. Uh, Matt Chapman was two, two. Matt Chapman actually had the second highest ISO among all top 100 prospects behind Gallo. Austin Meadows was third for overperformers, also third for uh, all ISO among top 100 guys. Kevin Newman, a guy with 30 power. Uh, overperformed quite well at Bradenton and Altoona this summer in his first full season. And Nick Senzel uh, also overperformed. He was a guy who we thought would just have average power, but really hit the ground running there in the red system after being taken in the first round this year. Uh, we'll have to see how that kind of figures itself out. He was a college bat, you know, only playing Class A, so we'll see what happens when he gets tested, probably against Double-A arms next summer. Uh, but yeah, those are five guys who maybe, looking forward, we'll have to, to see if this was an anomaly or if they're uh, power is actually here to stay. And something that segues us quite perfectly at the end of this uh, toolshed column, Sam poses the question, quote, did any top prospects hit their power expectations dead on with a 0.0 difference between ISO standard deviation and power grade standard deviation? Yes. And there were four of them. One, a Southern league MVP and Mariners prospect, Tyler O'Neill. White Sox, 2016 first rounder, Zach Collins and Yankee slugger, Aaron judge as well. And also, the guest on this week's edition of the show before the show podcast, top prospect in the Mets system, Ahmed Rosario. Look at how well that worked out. Yeah, no, <laughs> I swear I didn't plan that. That's pretty good. The numbers just tell the story. Things sometimes like make it seem like we know what we're doing when in reality we just I think we just kind of like don't, look don't, into them. Don't destroy that illusion. <laughs> let, let the people run with it as they will. No, no, we totally, we were totally, uh, we totally planned this out. Hey, strike three. Let's move on before I uh, talk us into more, uh, more corners. The Arizona Fall League is, uh, we are right on the docket. We are getting started. Opening day is October the 11th, which is six days from now. So before we uh, get this broadcast rolling again, we already have seen some of the AFL action taking place. The uh, the Bowman Hitting Challenge, I believe, comes up on the 9th. Is that correct for the Bowman? Which is kind of the unofficial start to the AFL season and uh, and one of the fun events to get things rolling down in Arizona. But we are uh, just days away from the first AFL games of the 2016 season. In case you're new to the podcast, in case you're new to uh, following minor league baseball, the Arizona Fall League 
basically the premier showcase circuit for minor league prospects. There are other off-season leagues. Guys go play in the Dominican Republic. They go play in Puerto Rico. They go play in Venezuela or Mexico or Australia or wherever. But the AFL is the prospect circuit. It's not as long as some of those seasons, but it is six teams, basically all all-star teams. They each have five major league parent affiliates. Each team sends down a handful of prospects. These guys play against each other for six weeks or so. It's a ton of fun. I got a chance to go down there last year. Hoping to go down there for another few days this year and check out the AFL because it's such a cool atmosphere and it's so different for these guys because the grind of spring training and the regular season all that kind of stuff it's work this almost feels like the after work party you know where you just get to go out you get to meet a bunch of guys who are really good at their jobs doing what you do as well Um, and it's just a a much more relaxed atmosphere day games on weekdays you know at spring training facilities crowds aren't huge it's just basically scouts and media nerds Um, but it's a fun atmosphere and there's a lot of really really good talent on the six rosters this season yes there is one name that we will talk about here momentarily but who stands out to you sam among these uh these six teams yeah so um just while it's still on my mind in case anybody was interested the bowman hitting challenge is saturday the eighth uh game start next tuesday the 11th um but yeah the, there's like you said this is kind of like an all-star teams it, it, for prospect heads um you know so I, I, a couple weeks ago when they first announced some of the rosters a little they've been a filled out a little bit more so if you go back and find the story just know that some other names have been added but i did a ranking of the the rosters from the initial announcements uh i really like this glendale team uh, that has astros cardinals dodgers nationals and white Sox prospects they've got francis martez uh david polino zach collins cody bellinger willie calhoun harrison bader and alex verdugo uh particularly like that dodgers contingent uh between bellinger calhoun and verdugo I think that all three of those guys will probably be at AAA next year, just one stop away. All fairly young, specifically Bellinger and Verdugo. Uh, so what can they show us? I, I I think you know they were some of the younger guys this year. Double A Tulsa, both did really really well. Um, can they carry that to the fall league? You know, does uh, fatigue become a point of it at at or not a point of issue, but um a point of concern for some of these guys because some of these guys have been playing you know full seasons didn't have any injuries and now they only take a couple of weeks off and then they're right back into it in the fall league so they can they maintain that going forward uh Eloy Jimenez is kind of in a similar boat in that you know this was his first full season and his first time facing full season pitching now all of a sudden he's being thrown up against essentially what if we're to call it what what is the level of competition probably around double a would you say that's right, Tyler? Double A, kind of triple A? Yeah, yeah. Somewhere I would say in between so. there. Yeah. Yeah. So Jimenez this year played at Class A South Bend for the entire season until the postseason when he moved up to Class A Advanced Myrtle Beach. Uh so this is definitely going to be a big test for him, not just from a fatigue standpoint, from but from you know, you're facing arms, a lot of guys who have been injured for most of the season. Uh, but they're going in short spurts. Some of these guys are going to try to show all the velocity they can in front of the scouts that Tyler mentioned are going to be there. So how can a guy like Jimenez kind of hold up? Uh, if you're looking for a team that has a lot of really top talent, I would say it's Surprise, the Surprise Suajeros. It's so, it's Suajeros, right? Suaros. Suaros. I'm sorry. No, I uh, I didn't know what it was until I went down there. It's type I, of cactus, though. Yeah. I always thought it was Saguaro, but it's Sawaro. Apparently. Yeah, don't we type in SAGs at some time? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, we always yeah. type the SAGs, which is just hilarious. We should do that for the Javelinas, too. We should call them the Habs. Habs. Yeah. But be good. <laughs> that always makes me think of my track days. But anyways, because it looks like jabs. But <laughs> the surprise team, uh, Yohan Mankata is going down there. Uh, so if you saw him in Boston this year, thought what was up with all those strikeouts uh, or why are they not using him on the postseason roster? He's such a talent. Certainly they could use him as a pinch running option, something like that. Uh, they actually sent him back to Fort Myers to prepare for the fall league. He's going to go there, get a lot of reps at third base. That's going to be their primary concern. Obviously, seeing how he can handle, you know, some of the advanced pitching there as well. Try to show that he is better than what he showed in Boston. Uh, but they've got Moncada, Austin Meadows, uh, who had another kind of injury riddled 2016 season. So he's going to be trying to make up at bats, also trying to prove that, you know, he should be a future outfield consideration for Pittsburgh. Uh, Michael Kopech, you know, started the year in not the best of circumstances, breaking his hand in a fight with a teammate or what they called an altercation. I don't want to necessarily say it was a fight, but 
this is a guy who can hit triple digits. He hit as high as 105, according to reports this year. So what is he going to do on a stage like the Fall League? That should be a lot of fun. And Nick Gordon from the twin system, a guy who's only played a Class A advanced Fort Myers. That's as high as he's gone so far. So this should be a good test of him. Um, not necessarily a great hitter. Certainly doesn't have his brother's speed, D. Gordon speed, but can certainly flash the leather. And this will be the biggest pro stage he'll ever play on as well. So uh, if you're looking for two teams to really focus in on, uh, I really do like that Glendale team. And if you're looking for top, top talent, I would say it's surprise. Um, but, you know, there there is that uh, new addition to Scottsdale. Uh, Tyler, what, what do we have to say about that? Yeah, that new addition to Scottsdale, Greg Bird, the Yankees' uh, Major <laughs> League first baseman, will be a part of the Scottsdale Scorpions roster. No, um, so here we go. This is from uh, the, the story byline of one Sam Dykstra. Quote, on Tuesday, the Mets announced the 29-year-old outfielder and 2007 Heisman Trophy winner will head to the Arizona Fall League this Sunday in anticipation of the season opener next week. He'll play for the Scottsdale Scorpions, a team comprised of prospects from the Angels, Mets, Yankees, Phillies, and Giants systems. And that 29-year-old is Tim Tebow. Um, you know, I mean, this this has to happen. You are not going to pay a six-figure signing bonus to a 29-year-old to watch him play in instructs three days a week. If he is going to make something of himself, he has to prove something of himself against guys higher than the instructional league level. And that's not a knock against guys in instructs, but you need to see more from him if this is a serious thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show of just like what went into this thought process. I know it surprised us. I mean, it, I'll be the first to admit you can go back and listen to our show and the comments we we've made on Tebow. And I think a lot of them still stick, but uh, you know, the idea of sending Tim Tebow to the Arizona fall league seemed a little laughable, you know, a couple of weeks ago when the Mets first signed him and they said, well, he might go to the instructs. He might go to fall league. turns out he's going to both. But I think that's like, you hit the nail right on the head there with saying you signed a 29 year old, uh, you don't have the time necessarily to see how he's going to progress, you know, what's going to happen. You have to throw him in the deep end and see if he's going to swim. Um, so the Arizona Fall League is is as deep a water as it gets, you know, for the fall. Uh, maybe they try to send him in, to a winter league after that. I know there's certainly interest in some of the winter leagues. Uh, some of the GMs down there to, in Venezuela, Dominican, Puerto Rico, uh, expressing interest in having him. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, Michael Jordan did this. He actually also played for Scottsdale, uh, which is kind of funny. And I, I won't say ironic. That's the wrong use of ironic, but just funny how that works Thanks, out. Thanks, Alanis Morissette. Yeah, let's let's correct that record right here. It's, it's not ironic. It's just funny or sad in the case of rain on a wedding day. But uh, Michael Jordan in 1994 went 31 for 123. So that's a 252 average with 34 strikeouts. And decided that was it. You know, he tried the Arizona Fall League after playing at Birmingham and then uh, signed back with the Bulls that later that winter. And that was the end of his baseball odyssey. Uh, do I think Tim Tebow is just going to give up baseball after the Arizona Fall League if it doesn't go right? No, I don't think so. I think he'll want to at least give spring training a try and see what where the Mets will look to assign him next spring. Um, but, you know, this is his first big test. You know, what what are they going to do to or how are they exactly going to use him in the Fall League? We know he still has his SEC contract. Uh, he's still got those obligations on the weekend. So is he just going to be part of the taxi squad? Uh, is he going to be a regular outfielder for that Scorpions team? You know, we'll have to see where where the chips kind of fall there. But, uh, yeah, the Mets are certainly throwing him in the deep water. Now we, we get to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, that's another one of the interesting things is he's not going to a team that is lacking in talent. Uh, that Scottsdale roster already has Aaron Brown of the Phillies, Hunter Cole of the Giants, Michael Hermosillo of the Angels, who's a great Twitter follow, by the way. Um, Champ Stewart of the Mets, Tyler Wade of the Yankees. Scottsdale has some pretty decent outfield talent. So that's always one of the questions with the AFL is how are these guys going to get playing time at what length are they going to get playing time? Um, this is a good step for Tim Tebow. I mean, analyzing this from a, from an, of a real baseball perspective, this is a good step for him because it means things are on track for it to be a, uh, you know, a situation where you can make some noise going into the spring. Um, but that being said, 
this hat he's 29 years old um this isn't the same circumstance as okay they they got this kid this isn't a chris wanky situation where all of a sudden you know he went off and tried something for a while then he's coming back he's trying to make up for lost time after three four years away it's been 10 years since he played baseball at any sort of level um yes he did okay in instructs as it seems i mean there aren't really instruct stats available but it seems like he was about a 250 hitter he flashed obviously some pop with a home run but you know he's an athlete that type of stuff translates against lower level competition if he goes to the afl and he succeeds then we start talking about it like it's a real situation if he goes to the afl and he doesn't succeed um i still think he's in spring training next year um you know i think there's a chance that maybe he gets an assignment to a short season club he goes to extended spring coming out of spring training it all depends on how serious he is about this and the fact that he's still doing his SEC network coverage, all that kind of stuff, still suggests to me this is not something that is 100% his focus. Now, do we get to the end of the college football season and he says, I'm done with all that, I'm done with it forever, I'm devoting myself strictly to baseball? Okay, then maybe we're having a different conversation this time in March and in April. But at this stage, he's going to go to the AFL for, what, three days a week? How much is he going to play? He's not getting regular at-bats. He's not looking at live arms that often. And he's certainly not looking at live arms that are the caliber of what he's going to see in the AFL. Um, So I I think there's just a lot of things up in the air. There's still a lot of stuff being juggled right now with this. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, I I don't know. I'm just – I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with him uh, at that level. I mean, he's going to be facing guys who are going to be touching triple digits. Um, you know, guys with, with curveballs. That's, I think, what I still need to see. Uh, you know, he did hit that homer in his first pitch he saw in Instructs uh, against, you know, John Kilikowski. But that was a fastball up. You know, what's going to happen when he's facing off-speed stuff, some wicked off-speed stuff? Uh, what happens when he goes up against a guy like Francis Martez? That, that's, these are all questions that we'll get, get answers to, I hope. So, uh, yeah, instead of, you know, sitting back and, Kind of with the conjecture, I, I think I'm most looking forward to just having answers to all these questions we've had about Tebow uh, and how it's going to shape what we think of him and what the Mets' plans will be for him entering the offseason. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. It'll be fun. It'll no be fun. What? That'll be interesting. Um, so that brings us to a close here in uh, in Three Strikes for episode number 79 of the Show Before the Show podcast. And coming up. We do have a conversation with the top prospect in the New York Mets organization. Ahmed Rosario joins us from back home in the Dominican Republic, where he was kind enough to uh, to chat and have a little conversation through an interpreter, Miguel Martinez, who is one of his representatives. Miguel was uh, was nice enough to join the conversation and interpret our questions for Ahmed, who speaks English, but it was a little shy, understandably, about doing a full interview in English. So here's what we did. Um, we have our questions Then we have Ahmed's answers in Spanish. So we took out the interpretation of the question, and then we have the translated interpreted answer from Miguel. So that's why you'll hear question, answer one, and then an answer two. And, uh, yeah, obviously Sam and I don't speak Spanish, so there may be some uh, minor changes, we assume, between what Ahmed says in Spanish, for those of you who do, and what the English uh, translation is for us. But uh, that's a conversation that we are very excited to have. Also, one other note, um, due to the conference call system that we use through Ahmed's representatives every once in a while you'll hear a beep um which i think due to the fact that it was an international call and also we're recording off of a conference call was just kind of something in their system so put that aside and out of your mind but just a a pre-production meeting for you to join us on the other (laughs) side of this break um so that does it for three strikes ahmed rosario the top prospect in the new york mets organization the shortstop joins the show before the show's 79th episode next With the minor league season behind us, we uh, catch up on uh, a bit of the 2016 campaign as we bring in the top prospect in the New York Mets organization, Ahmed Rosario, who joins us uh, after a, a very successful 2016 season between Class A Advanced St. Lucie and Double A Binghamton. Ahmed, welcome to the show. How has the start to the offseason been for you? He says everything has been good. Um, Spending some time, spending quality time with the family, and uh, taking some hacks with his dad. 
Ahmed, tell us about getting into the offseason. I mean, when the season ends, uh, how long do you take to, you know, rest and relax? You get back home, you spend some time with family. How long is it from your last game until when you get started back in the cage and, you know, getting to work in the field and all that kind of stuff? Bueno, ¿qué te digo? Eh, este año ha sido el que más tiempo yo he cogido que lo que fue el que cogí, creo que fueron eh, una semana y ya estoy basically this is the year he's taking the most time off and that time off was one week um his father is a drill sergeant so he's been in the cage taking ground balls hitting bp he's he's active right now um kind of take me through that trip you had to new york uh, a couple weeks ago or, or i think it was earlier last week um you know you get named to a Sterling Award winner, you get to come up to, to see the Mets at City Field. Um, what was that experience like? No, tremenda experiencia y más con el tiempo que hicimos en el cual fue el labor social donde pudimos ayudar a la persona y luego cuando estuvimos compartiendo con los compañeros de Grande Liga, José Reyes, La Gare, eso tigre, tremenda experiencia también a la hora que he said um, that what stood out the most was actually um, what, what the activities they had off the field, which was um, organized by the community um, um, community service team of the New York Mets, where they um, they participated. They part that me and other, other some of the other guys participated in an event. I think it was some sort of um, 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 feed elderly people. So that was very impactful. He really enjoyed that. Um, and besides that, just um, um, catching up with the guy in the minor leagues and being well received by um, the likes of Jose Reyes and Lagares when they were um, being presented the award. Ahmed, tell us about being back in the Florida State League this year. Last year, uh, you go to the FSL. You're a very young player at that level at 19, and you hold your own, acquit yourself really well. This season, you go back, you raise your batting average over 50 points, you raise your OPS over 150 points. What was the biggest difference in your second time in the Florida State League versus what you saw there in 2015? Uh, practicábamos un poquito más, nos forzamos y nada, salimos a jugar a pelota y a divertirnos dando el 100%. Um, a says that the key was the preparation and timing of everything and there was there was more of a plan to execute before he went out. And what was that plan? I mean, what what had changed in that planning and what had you learned from 2015 that you carried into 2016 and were able to turn into many more hits? No, exacto. Nosotros, eh, tú sabes que yo venía de una operación y perdí un tiempo en el cual yo iba a Forlí y eh, iba a jugar un poquito de invernal. Entonces, lo que hicimos fue, nada, eh, lo mismo, salimos a practicar, le ganamos el tiempo, en vez de practicar, no practicamos los domingos. Ya entonces incluimos los domingos también de práctica y cada vez que tenía un poquito de tiempo de tiempo libre se lo dedicaba a la pelota y cage, pesa, eh, nada, lo mismo, no hicimos diferente. He says that one of the, the it, it was basically a, a, a blessing in disguise because um, he was coming from an injury. He was going to play in the Arizona Fall League, and he wanted to play winter ball, but he got hurt. So the fact that he got hurt made him train harder, prepare better, whether it was with the weightlifting program, whether it was the skills and drills, whether it was the eating habits. And uh, on top of that, it was also that he incorporated Sundays on his schedule because he wanted to make up for the time he lost. Before, he would never train on Sundays, but this time around, he did it. He did train on Sundays. Ahmed, when you look toward um, you know this off season going into 2017, what is your off season training regimen like? I mean, you said you took a week off, and that was kind of an extended rest. What do you do, um, you know, on a day to day basis? Are you gonna play winter ball uh, in the Dominican this year? I mean, what what will the next few months be like? Nah, el próximo mes estaremos viajando a Florida si Dios quiere lo permite. En el cual vamos a tener el programa de pesa y no no estaremos jugando invernal. Eh, eh, ya me puse en el partido de extrema 
he's going to um, repeat the program he did last year, which was Barwitz Method um, in Port St. Lucie, um, where he had tremendous results. He won't be playing in winter ball in the Dominican Republic because the team placed him in um, the extreme fatigue list. So that uh, prohibits him from playing, although he really, really, really um, wants to play in front of the Dominican crowd. So if we were going to project a winner this year, who's winning the Dominican Winter League this year? Give, give us your pick. <laughs> he says Las Aguilas. They're good. They're gonna crown number twenty-one. He's a good hometown guy. Yeah. They're gonna. It's like he's he, so he's not. Um, Ahmed is not from Santiago, but it was the team that drafted him, and he feels very. Um, he has a weight on his shoulder as far as playing one day in DR. Nice. So we'll leave you on this one. Um, if there's one aspect of your game you can improve uh, with your work this offseason, Ahmed, what would it be? No, no, seguimos trabajando y estamos tratando de mejorar todo. Tratar de ser mejor que este año. Estamos trabajando para eso. Basically, so he works on everything. Um, he doesn't want to lose a step on, on anything. And, and his, his goal is to be better than what he was this year. It's going to be tough to top 120 games this year between Class A and uh, yeah. AA. 324, 374, 459. And, uh, and yeah, get some rest, Ahmed, at being on a, on a fatigue list, obviously, after a, a long, good couple of seasons. And congratulations on a great year, and uh, enjoy the offseason. We'll be talking to you in 2017. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Benjamin Hill is back in the office in Chelsea Market in New York City. I am uh, no longer in the office uh, in Chelsea Market in New York City, and Ben and I miss each other by like two days. Womp womp. Hi, Ben. Hey, we were like uh, ships passing in the night. Like ships in the When I was in Altoona, we had a reliever named Nate Baker who uh, used that as his uh, entrance song, which I thought, uh, Matt, what is that guy's name? Matt Carney. Like a little, like the least intimidating artist you could choose. Good song, I enjoyed the song, but like the least intimidating artist for uh, for an entrance song for a reliever. But we were, we were like ships in the night, Ben. It's a very romantic way to look at it. Hey, Birmingham wrapped up. Promo seminar is done for 2016. Um, we talked to you just before you got a chance to give your talk. How'd it go? It went well. So uh, this is the fourth year in a row at the uh, promo seminar, you know, which is an annual industry event where teams get together basically to uh, share ideas and uh, do a, an autopsy of the season that, that was. Um, it's the fourth year in a row that I've uh, kind of wrapped up the uh, ballroom speaking portion, the large group portion with a um, kind of year in review, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, just going through my travels in chronological order, trying to highlight things that people enjoy. Uh, trying to make a lot of jokes along the way, and uh, I got through it, and it went well, and uh, you know I'm happy. I, I really am honored to be asked to do it every year, but um, it's nerve-wracking. As many times as I do it, it always seems to go well enough, and I always seem to kind of capitalize on uh, sort of the awkward pauses and humor and uh, joke-telling and timing that is just totally stolen from Norm MacDonald. But uh, it all seems to work. <laughs> so tell us, I mean, how has the feedback changed over the years that you've done this? Because I would imagine early on, you know, people were familiar with your work. But obviously the site has grown a ton since then. Um, you know, Ben's got his own T-shirts out now, which you can find at, uh, at MILBstore.com. Um, I mean, what has it been like as, as sort of your profile has grown with the way the teams have interacted with you? Especially kind of knowing that the more they are involved with you, if you stop by for a road trip, if you get in touch with them for a promotion, it, it sort of helps build their billing as well. It does. I don't want to talk myself up, but um, I'm grateful to have a inflated reputation within the industry. You know, I call it my ego fuel, the promo seminar and the winter meetings, you know, because day to day, I'm just another dude in New York and that's fine. I mean, I don't aspire to be anything else day to day, but it's nice to go to these industry events and have people know me and have people I haven't met introduce themselves and say they're fans of my work. Fans. Say I'm a fan of yours. That's cool. Like, Me? That's no. awesome. No. Um, so that that I really do uh, appreciate that in uh, getting all the feedback and um, Gabe with the Williamsburg Crosscut Williamsport Crosscutters. Gabe uh, Sinacrapi. Um, he was the MC uh, who introduced my speech, and he said. Uh, that I validate those in the industry the same way Johnny Carson would validate a comedian uh, when he'd ask them to uh, come to the couch and uh, speak with him after after um, you know after doing a successful stand-up set. So I, I don't think I am uh, Johnny Carson-like stature, of course. But that's uh, like the best compliment uh, I can ever imagine getting. 
Yeah, yeah it was, it was a, and then he immediately shot me down. He's like, I don't know how many people who aren't in the industry read it, though. I was like, thanks. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Gabe. <laughs> okay. Thanks, and Gabe. for the record, I love the people in the industry read my stuff, but everything I'm doing, I also have an eye towards minor league fans and especially the road trip stuff. I'd like to think, I always think, I always have hopes and dreams that it will continue to grow the audience just towards uh, people who love, you know, exploring America through minor league baseball. And I don't want to just be an industry guy, and uh, I do work toward that. So, so. Take that, Gabe. And when you were organizing your presentation, putting together all the slides and all that, uh, I imagine that's kind of a way to organize your feelings. I mean, obviously, you have the blog, you have all the stories you write, uh, but going through all of that for your presentation, was there anything that stuck out? You know, that you highlighted a little extra more, or a little extra. Uh, for your presentation or anything that surprised you even about your travels this year when you were going through all that stuff? Well, it is good, a good opportunity to kind of take a trip down memory lane. And when the season's happening, I think as it is for all of us, whether we're writers or broadcasters or players or front office people, uh, you're so caught up in the season and just sort of maintaining day to day. And every day is like, what do I have to do now? What do I have to do now? And you're kind of getting through it. So to put that presentation together is a, is a nice uh, way to say like, oh, hey, like I went to all these places. I met all these people. I wrote all these stories. I still have more to write on the blog where I'm still trapped in the Appy League forever, but I will get out of there. And uh, <laughs> it, it's a great way to look back on the season that was. And it's always interesting to see how other people respond. Um, you know, when you're doing this in front of a couple hundred people and going through the travels, because what I think is funny or interesting, you know, in a hotel room alone might be different than what a large uh, group of people thinks. And at one point um, I was talking about my trip to Princeton, West Virginia to see the Princeton Rays in the Appy League. And of course I hit on the topic of Roscoe Rooster uh, who not only talks and then, you know, I paused and then put up the next slide, which was Roscoe the Rooster uh, wrestling. You know, he's a local star on the uh, West Virginia wrestling circuit. And I put up a slide of uh, Roscoe Rooster fighting the Cuban assassin and uh, the whole room just cracked up. And then uh, after my presentation was finished, um, up on the screen, and I didn't even do this, but they put up a uh, YouTube video of one of Roscoe's wrestling matches as everyone sort of broke for lunch. Uh, you know, hundreds of people in minor league baseball were watching Roscoe the Rooster in a wrestling match. And I think a lot of people were amazed to to hear about a mascot that not only talks but that wrestles. Let's uh, pivot to the, the highest honor that can be awarded to any minor league team in the promotions realm, and that is the Golden Bobblehead, which this year went to the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, whose salute to Philadelphia night garnered that award. Um, it was recognized as the best theme night in minor league baseball. It's the third Golden Bobblehead in Lehigh Valley Club history, and the first since 2013. Of course, the most notable part of that in the 2016 event was the fact that the iron pigs rebranded themselves as the cheesesteaks. And of course they had the big vote wit or without onions uh, to, to finalize the uniform for that night. But Lehigh Valley, on on the one hand, very very proud of their honor. On the other hand, I noticed a lot of sniping between Lehigh Valley and uh, Fresno and some of the other teams that have gotten in the mix with the whole food thing on social media, which is all in good fun and actually is kind of a rising tide lifts all boats type of thing. But what was the uh, what was the whole furor surrounding Lehigh Valley's big triumph this year? Well, I wouldn't call it furor, um, but they um, try to drum up the interest. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was an outrage. Um, you know, I actually missed the Golden Bobblehead presentations where all the finalists give presentations uh, on Thursday morning last week because I was in my hotel room preparing for my speech, which was coming up right after that. Um, so there's different categories. Lehigh Valley won in the theme night category, um, which is kind of the stuff we pay the most attention to, the, the one night only promotions. And it's the kind of stuff we talk about throughout the year. Um, so it's when the, when a team wins a Golden Bobblehead – it's uh, voted on by an audience of peers. So the teams really take that to heart a lot. I think they really like being able to, one, be nominated, and that's done in St. Pete by the minor league baseball staff. I think Mark Labin heads that up. Um, so they, it's, it's, it's a big honor for the teams because they get to brag. They have the bragging rights. They get recognized at the seminar on the last night at the ballpark gala. And, um, you know, congrats to Lehigh Valley for winning the theme night. Uh, I don't have with me the other... Uh, Teams that won in the other categories, I actually had to leave early to get to a wedding, but that's neither here nor there. Um, 
But uh, then, of course, you know, Lehigh Valley gets home. Everyone goes home and they start fighting with Fresno because Fresno's like, you know, oh, how cute it is that we did the tacos. And then and you jump <laughs> our uh, bandwagon and did the cheesesteaks. And they go back at each other and snipe. And as you said, it's all in good fun. And it's, you know, it's a very dead time of year for minor league baseball in the whole. So might as well start a fight with somebody. Why? Why would this one win over, like Tyler said, you know, over some of the other food related things in the industry this this summer was it the with or without like fan participation was it the fact that they had so many other philly things going on i mean why do you think this one would have been deemed by the industry so much more successful than some of the other stuff well there's one um in each category there's one winner per month and then at the end of the season it's the um at the end of the season, then then the, the monthly winners are voted on for you know best overall in each category. So Lehigh Valley won in the month that it took place, and I believe the cheesesteaks night took place in uh, what was that June, July? It doesn't really matter. They won for the month they did it, and uh, you know against against the rest of the competition, then you know the rest of the industry declared it best. And I, I think one they had a really really strong visual element with this. And they rolled it out in such a way with a really well, you know, professionally done website, uh, professionally done logos, um, the whole wit or without element where the cheesesteak hats, fans could vote whether those hats should have onions or not. Um, they really thought this one through. And there were other, you know, successful food promos throughout the year. Um, but I think this one, you know, Fresno did start it with the tacos and Fresno continues to do real well with the tacos. But this was a new one for 2016 and the one that made the most impact, at least beyond the tacos. Telling you, man, Colorado Springs Rocky Mountain Oysters is right there for you. Um, the the promo seminar wrapping up kind of kicks everybody's off season off um, and gets a chance to, I guess, put a bow on 2016. But was there much discussion about 2017? I mean, were there kind of ideas that teams were mulling around that maybe they were ready to let on a little bit about? Or was there any preview of what's coming next year from some of these teams? Uh, not so much. I mean, I think the, the where everyone's at right now and what the promo seminar it revolves around is kind of sharing what just happened. So I might, I think we'll see some of the ideas shared during the seminar, uh, perhaps instituted, you know, on 2017 promo schedules as they are announced in the coming months. You know, mostly not until the calendar rolls around the 2017. So not too many teams talking about what they'll do next year specifically because I think most don't know. I mean, they know what worked for them last year. They know certain elements that they'll have. But I think the big uh, attention-getting prom- promos of 2017 are still just a gleam in you know the front office's eye. And uh, I hate to kind of end this on more of a somber note, but uh, last week, uh, longtime Midwest League president George Spelius passed away at the age of 83. Uh, the league confirmed to us. Danny Wilde wrote up kind of a story about his long life in minor league baseball, specifically with the Midwest League and, and Beloit. Um, You've got a chance to visit with him in 2013 on one of your travels. Uh, what did you get to know about George? You know, at that time, and you know, what are your kind of memories from that experience? Well, he was a really nice guy. I only spent you know an hour with him or so in Beloit, where he was headquartered, and it was kind of, I want to say, almost ironic that George Spelius was based in Beloit, which is one of the smallest markets in the Midwest League, one of the oldest stadiums, uh, one of the lowest attendance. So while he was a Beloit guy through and through, the league office was actually across the street um, from a floral shop that had been in his wife's family for decades and decades. Um, so you know he had a real modest operation in a modest town, but it was during his presidency that the Midwest League um, you know, really changed. And you added the likes of Dayton and Fort Wayne and Bowling Green and Lansing and uh, really set a, a new template for the league in which they're playing in much larger markets and uh, drawing a lot more fans. So – you know, the league president plays a factor in that, might not necessarily be the lead architect, but he, um, you know, he presided over that era for, for 30 years. He was a guy, in, you know, he played on military baseball teams. I believe he served in the uh, Korean War, you know, so he had a long, long career in baseball and kind of got you know, involved with uh, the Midwest League accidentally when they were trying to bring a team to the Belo- to Beloit and he got involved with that effort and one thing leads to another and a few years later he's the the league president and there he is doing it for decades and decades and one thing that George Spelius was known for um maybe his greatest legacy was uh the extent to which he was an advocate for the umpires and he was known for inviting the Midwest Midwest League umpires to his house uh, for dinner you know when they would pass through Beloit 
And uh, in that capacity, his daughter, Mary, ended up meeting Marty Foster when he was a Midwest League umpire. And then Marty Foster uh, has gone on to a career in the major leagues. And uh, when I spoke with Spelius uh, a few years ago, he said, uh, umpires are human beings too, so I was an umpire's advocate. And now I think if I didn't support umpires, my son-in-law would shoot me. But I've tried to be like a father to them. You can tell when a kid is down, when he's not getting good reports. I like to jack him up a little bit and tell him the things he can do to improve. So uh, I think that's, uh, you know, speaks a lot to him you know, as an umpire's advocate, but also as a guy who, um, you know, as the years went on, kind of maybe did play a little bit of a grandfatherly role uh, throughout the Midwest League and um, a real familiar face. And he will certainly be missed, uh, not just in the league in which he was president, but all of minor league baseball. One of the real uh, stalwarts of minor league baseball, and we bid a, a fond farewell to George Spelius in the Midwest League. Obviously, you much better off for uh, for his time in the circuit. And um, Ben, glad to glad to hear you made it back safely from Birmingham and and the wedding too, which I hope went well. And uh, what's coming up on the blog? Well, the blog, you know, I finally got back in the office on Tuesday and uh, had to put together all my nominees for the Promo of the Year Milby Award. And uh, so we'll be talking about that next week, and that'll be uh, up on the site, you know, Thursday tomorrow, October sixth. And then uh, today I'm working on a new batting around, and I promise after that, to the extent I can, I'm really going to lay into the blog because I have a lot more from my road trips there, and I cannot believe it's October, and I'm still writing about places I was in uh, three months ago. So bear with me. Know that it's coming. Know that I'm not slacking on this and that all will be revealed. Thank you very much. There you go. Benjamin Hill. Like I said, the summer never ends when uh, when Ben's still rolling stuff out on the blog from some of the road trips. So keep checking that. It's bensbiz.mlblogs.com and more stuff coming to the site as well. Um, obviously, the Milby stuff will be coming up over the next couple of weeks, but you can always follow Ben and the carnival of fun that is Ben on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz there. Ben, we'll talk to you next week. I look forward to it. Ahmed Rosario and Benjamin Hill, you can find both of those dudes uh, on the old Twitter machine. Ben, as we mentioned, of course, is at Ben's Biz. And Ahmed Rosario, the top prospect in the New York Mets organization, is on Twitter at Ahmed, A-M-E-D underscore Rosario. You can find him there as well. And, uh, yeah, pretty cool to get a chance to talk to somebody. That's our first overseas guest. It's a small C between here and the Dominican, but it's a C. It is a C. It is a C. It's our first international guest. The, and our first guest, guest in in Spanish. Yeah, uh, you know we're we're always open to that. Definitely. I know it's it's not the best audio experience because you know we're getting interpretations, but these guys have stories to tell as well. Uh, we certainly try to tell them when we're doing it in print. Uh, we'll try to do them as much as we can uh, over the podcast. Don't want to do that too often because we don't want to lean on interpreters to do this kind of stuff. But people might remember last year we did Wilson Contreras. Uh, obviously Spanish is his first language. He did a really good job, I think, speaking in English. So if there's any kind of Spanish speaker you think, you know, doesn't get interviewed that much, you would love to hear, let us know on Twitter. Uh, we'll certainly do our part to reach out and uh, do more of that this offseason. So once more, a big thanks to Ahmed. And yeah, if you've got, uh, as we've noted several times, you've got any ideas, you've got any suggestions, things you want to see, hear us talk about, um, things you would like to hear us cover, send them our way. Sam's on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. I am at Tyler Mon, and you can get in touch with the podcast, podcast at M-I-L-B.com. Today, we got an email from Betty Charles who wanted to know if we were um, interested in a list of baseball enthusiasts. Is they also, it, by the way, Sam, have contacts for golfers list, soccer enthusiasts, hockey enthusiasts, basketball enthusiasts. They got enthusiasts out the yin yang there. Yeah. Are they yeah. asking if we want the list or are we getting added to the list? No, um, they're asking if we want the list. I'm uh, not entirely sure if this is related. I wonder how much of a crossover there is between the people on like the baseball enthusiast list and also the people on like the, you know, like remodeling your deck list, which we get emails <laughs> about. Um, but yeah, if you know, you want to get in touch, be like, I, feel like I, I know all the baseball enthusiasts. I'm on Twitter. <laughs> oh, man, you don't you don't have the secret list from Betty, though. Yeah, that's true. So you you all can also be like Betty Charles and send us your favorite enthusiast lists. Um, and until then, 
Uh, AFL getting started on October 11th. Get excited for that. You can catch some of those games on MLB.com and MLB Network. And the Arizona Fall League, not the only thing getting started. Milby Awards are coming up soon. We already have our uh, our story assignments. We don't have the final results and know what our topics will be. Um, but I know I will be writing up Game of the Year and Top Starting Pitcher this year. As Ben noted, he's on Promo of the Year, of course. Um, this is fun. It's always We actually had a conversation in the office the other day when I was there that Josh Jackson, one of our other uh, best buddies in the world and our LA based writer, Josh texted me the other day and said, you ever get worried that like, since you and I aren't in the office, they just project our Milby votes onto like a conference room screen. They all sit around making fun of them, which I hadn't until Josh brought that up. And then, yeah, I did. And then we had a conversation about like, who was the moron who didn't vote for Dylan cousins for offensive player of the year. And I was like, Oh, that was me. Whoops. Sorry. Yeah. But Milby's are coming up. Yeah, the Milbys are next week. We'll have our uh, podcast gala announcing the nominees. They're actually coming out, by the time you guys hear this, they're coming out October 6th. So you'll be getting this podcast on October 6th. So go check out all the nominees. Uh, We'll break down all the categories next week. Uh, You can find them, obviously, on the the main site at MILB.com. But if you want to go straight to all the ballots, check out all the nominations. Uh, You can go there by going to MILB.com slash Milbys. That's M-I-L-B-Y-S. Or, if you don't want to type the S for whatever reason, M-I-L-B.com slash Milby also works. So we got two redirects to get you there. Uh, Just remember one of them. They both go to the exact same place. Uh, And vote for your favorite, favorite offensive player of the year, starting pitcher, reliever, breakout prospect of the year, team, game, individual performance. We've got all sorts of categories. Uh, Again, Tyler and I will be breaking everything down next week. We'll be wearing tuxedos because this is the best or closest chance we'll ever get to doing one of those Oscar announcements uh, at 5 a.m. on the West Coast where everybody's looking dapper and and saying who's the best actor and best supporting actor. This might be the year that I actually Photoshop us into tuxedos. Oh, that that needs to happen. That needs to happen in our meeting. Okay. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to see what happens when they when they see that I have added that as uh, as an extra task that I need to be paid for. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I spent. A considerable amount of time editing Sam and I onto Ryan Seacrest for this. You're making content. That's all. <laughs> Just making, making some sweet, sweet content. Um, but, yeah, so look out for, th- for that and uh, vote in the meantime. Do it. Do all of that. And, uh, yeah, we'll have Milby stuff coming up fast and furious over the next couple of weeks, as well as the Arizona Fall League, which, once again, gets started on October 11th. And uh, enjoy the first uh, couple of days of AFL games, and we'll talk to you next week. Yeah.